You've probably heard me say this before. If you have, I'm sorry, but uh, envy isn't a good thing, but if I envy anything, it is I cannot sing. And I wish I could. I've tried. I've had, I have zero ability to sing. I do alone, but that's the only time I can get away with it. Um, it is so powerful. I enjoyed the music this morning, you guys. And why don't I just pray one more time? I just, uh, it's helpful for me to pray before we start. I just, uh, will go to, to, go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you have saved us from ourselves. Just continue, Lord, to be merciful to us, Lord, and keep renewing our hearts and our minds, Lord, until, Lord, until we are empty vessels, until we are empty of all earthly desire, Lord. Just work in our hearts until we desire you and your righteousness. Help us to, to know the joy of, of loving you more and more. And strengthen us, Lord. Uh, strengthen us so that our love for you will be unmistakable in the world, Lord. And just, just use your word this morning to draw us closer to you and, and closer to one another, Lord. So we just uh, look to your word this morning, Lord, and look to you to, to use it. In your name, amen. <clears throat> so if you would, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. This is a this is the second part of a message and it began last week. Last week we were in Psalm 24 and we were thinking through God's boast of glory, his boast of glory. And it's, it's no small boast. And we're part of that boast. So we were created to participate in that boast and that is no small privilege. Sometimes we take it for granted, but that's no small privilege. And then we spent time looking at how because of sin, we lost ability. We were unable to even approach God's glory. And that's ugly. We, look at, we looked at some of the ugliness of that last week. Then we moved forward towards the end of that psalm where there was a celebration. Israel was celebrating the the victories of the Lord, really, and, and the entrance of the ark into David's city, to, into Jerusalem. And, and it was those victories of the Lord that allowed this, this ark to come to the, to the nation, to the city. And God had asked Israel to build that wooden box, cover it with gold, and, and God filled it with his glory. He used it as a temple, his, his, uh, his throne on earth. And he gave that box as a possession to Israel so that Israel would know that he was their God. He, he literally wanted the world. He was saying, look at Israel. Look at their God. Look at me. And Israel was, was supposed to be that light in the world. It was supposed to point towards Christ. And if you remember, we went to Psalm 8 where David was just amazed. He wrote Psalm 8 out of his amazement that, that God was even willing to share his glory with man and let us participate in it. You know, we've been given 
a whole lot more than Israel. We've been given a lot more. And how amazed are we? Are we amazed? Do we compare? Does our amazement compare to David and Israel's amazement that day when they were bringing the ark into town, into to Jerusalem? A box filled with glory, and I know that's a, there's a long, long history behind that box and, and, or behind the ark, the ark of the covenant, and it meant a lot, and God used that. But yet, that box, that's not what God had in mind when he, when he created us. He had it much more in mind when it came to, to us and his glory. It wasn't intended that we would, we, we, would, we experience God's glory in this, this box, this box covered with gold that was carried a half mile out in front of us wherever, wherever we went. When to God's glory, though, the celebration did not end, and there with the ark, there were greater victories to come, and they came. And today it's our turn to celebrate. And the question is, are we celebrating and how are we celebrating? We celebrate the gospel of Christ. Those are Jesus' victories. It's the victory of righteousness, a life lived without sin. And then the cross where the forgiveness of sin was earned. And it is the victory of sin. Or it is the, yeah, it's the victory over sin. And then the grave where death lost its battle. Jesus won that battle of the death. We celebrate the resurrection. And the question is, are we? Do we celebrate? Are we celebrating this morning? Are we celebrating Jesus' victories? Has his victories become our victories? And I'll read one more time uh, Matthew. Chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand and, gives, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in it. So, again, last week we were looking at the boast of the glory and then the unapproachability of God's glory. And then God sharing the glory in that, through that box. And, and this morning we come to Jesus' victories and are we celebrating his, his victories? Are we celebrating the gospel? You know, we, we have, we've given, been given so much more than, than Israel and, and David had been given. And Luke records Jesus' teaching. And teaching, Je Jesus is teaching that to those who much has been given, much will be required. So he, Jesus is speaking to the discipleships, to the, to the disciples there, and he's, He's, along with the disciples, they and the apostles are going to be, they are going to form the beginning of Jesus' church. And can we read about, I know we went there last week, but can, or actually several months ago I was here, but um, can we read about and forget that faithful day when Jesus had, had risen from the, the grave? 
and he had spent another 40 days with that small band of people he had. He was coming and going, but he, was, he spent time with them. And, and that last day, they, he takes a walk with this, this band of faithful men and women, and they walk, he walks up a hill with them, and, and he just unexpectedly leaves. He ascends into heaven, and they're left there with their mouth open, and they remember that all, and they have angels to help them remember this, the angels that God sent to them, but all they had to do was, all they had left to do was to turn around and go back down that hill and begin to share in the glory that God is going to share with them, and he sent them down to that city where those people had just they hated Jesus, they killed Jesus, and that's where they were to go and begin in earnest the sharing of God's glory. Our, our chief care, and this could be a question, but our chief care and our highest virtue our only happiness now and throughout eternity is to present ourselves as an empty vessel in which God can fill, God can dwell and manifest his glory through. And it, it's, it's just not, it's not complicated. We glorify God when we manifest his glory, when we imitate. Manifesting God's glory is imitating him. It's imitating Jesus. And that's how we manifest his glory, just imitating it. He wants us to know now that he wants the world to look at us. Yeah, he wanted the world to look at Israel. Now it's us. The world is looking at us. He wants us he wants the world to see him through us. We are the salt. We are the light. This gift, this gift of glory, along with the, the gift of the indwelling of the Spirit, that is such a special, it's so special, it's so unique that no one, I mean, not a, not a person from the Garden of Eden to the end of the world, not one person has ever received that gift. No one except you, the church. That should humble us. That should make us look upward. And because we have been given so much, much is expected. And if that thought is more of a burden than it is a joy, we probably we should be asking ourselves, why? Why? Why would it be more of a burden in our thoughts than, than a joy? Maybe we need to take our eyes off of ourselves, Or maybe we are struggling. There are circumstances. There are circumstances in our lives where we struggle and we can lose sight of that joy, the joy of sharing God's glory. And we've all been there. I, I'm, I'm sure we've all been there. But that's why we have each other. We walk, the church, we, we walk alone in this world. We walk, walk alone with the Lord. 
But we have each other so that we don't walk alone. We walk alone together. We have each other and we're not alone. If, if you, have you ever, have you not ever enjoyed that part of being of, of the church, of being part of the church, of, of, of the one another's? If we haven't enjoyed that, if you haven't enjoyed that, you have to ask yourself why. Uh, you know, I, I remember in my life, I remember men sitting in this church. Uh, Pastor Danny's not here this morning, but Kevin. I remember Kevin coming along and, and just being that arm around your shoulder. And have we enjoyed that? If we haven't, we can ask why maybe. Maybe it's our own fault. But we have here in this, this usually after the end of every service, we have a man and a woman and a man and a woman. We have teams, men and women, in these different rooms to come and, and talk, to just listen. They're willing to just listen and to help. And they're there because they've needed that before and they've understood, they've enjoyed that. And pastor's door, Pastor Andrew's door is never closed. And if you would look around you, there are just a number of men and women that would be willing to walk alone with you and listen. It's, it's an important part of what we do as a congregation, being part of a, a community of faith. In our text this morning, in verses uh, 13 through 16, it's part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's found in chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're starting just a little ways into that sermon. But it's a sermon on the mount. And when I, often when I read, when I, I read through this sermon on the mount, it's one of the places I go often. I enjoy the sermon. But it often causes me to think of this quote or this phrase that I've, I came across as a, a young teenager and I didn't even quite understand it. It just caught my attention. And it, it caught my muse. And... It's part of a, a larger, it's part of a poem. And, and I'll just, I'd like to read that uh, a stanza or a, a part of this, this poem. And it goes like this. When this bright, this shiny world would tempt me sore, when Satan a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to stay. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. And I want to make sure that as we head into the sermon that we realize it, and I'll mention it again, but Jesus in this sermon, he is not teaching us how to be saved. It's not what's on his mind. He's, he's drawing a picture of what it looks like if you are saved. Jesus begins this sermon at the beginning of chapter 5, He begins, he begins with what we know as the Beatitudes. And, the Beat, and, and this, it's an introduction to a sermon. And in this, this introduction, the Beatitudes, Jesus is drawing a picture of what a child of God looks like. He first draws it to the Jews. He's drawn it for, these, for the Jews in the world at that time. And Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. But he draws this picture. It's, Jesus had came to, he was the prophesied king and he had came to be their king and he looks at Jesus they look at Jesus and and they just look at him and say no you're not the king that is not what the king looks like you're not him and he turns this scenario around on them on them, and he, he's going to draw them a picture because he is their king 
And he's going to draw them a picture of what a citizen of the kingdom of God looks like. Today, we would look at that as what does a child of God look like? Jesus, as he does this with the Jews, he's also looking right past the cross. He knows he's going to be murdered. He knows he's going to be rejected. He's looking past at us. And this picture that Jesus draws of, the, of a citizen of the kingdom of God is also a, it's a perfect look like of us, of the church, of, the, of a child of God. And remember that the glory of God is his radiating beauty. It's the beauty of God. The glory of God, it's the beauty of God that radiates from all of his characteristics, all that God is, all that he does. And Jesus is drawing this picture today. He's using the characteristics of God, those characteristics that he has shared with us. That's how he's drawing this picture. And as Jesus... He's drawing this picture. He wants this, this child, this person, to come alive to them. It's as if Jesus, he turns that scenario around and he goes. It's, it's like this mother or father, it's like a parent that comes out to the world and he says, hey, he's drawing this picture. And he's not going around to the world and saying, hey, have you seen my child? I've lost my child. Have you seen him? This is him. He's literally, he's drawing this picture. And he's saying, is this you? Not have you seen my child, but he's saying, is this you? And that's what we need to examine this morning. Is this us? Jesus wants this child to become alive in the minds of these people. They have never seen anyone quite like this before. And so Jesus draws this picture. And in verses 11 and 12, just ahead of our text, Jesus begins to talk to this, this drawing, this child that he he, he's drawing here. And he, I'll read what he says. He says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is how Jesus ends the, 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 the sermon at the end of chapter 7. He says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock and the, the rain descended. The floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall. So it was founded on the rock. Who is the rock? Jesus. Jesus is our rock. But everyone who hears this saying, these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. We know the end of that verse. Our house didn't stand up. Are we foolish? Are we wise? Are we the salt and the light of the world? So our text begins in verse 13. It's really, it's like you, you are the light of the world. Both in verses 13 and 14, the word you is emphatic. Jesus wants you, wants you to know that he is pointing right at you when he speaks. If you are his child, if you are a child of God, he is spoke, speak, he's speaking right at us this morning. The word salt 
you are the salt. You are the salt of the earth. It has many, many different ideas with it. Many ideas were wrapped around that by the culture. And Jesus is, the, the first and overriding principle here that Jesus is, is describing by using the word salt is the word influence. And if Jesus was using here in, in, the, in verses 13 through 16, if he was using a crayon to draw, now he's starting to draw the activities of this child and, and, and spell it out really well for them. And if he was using a crayon here, he would create a color called influence, and the crayon would say influence. And that's what he's using here. He's using the word. He, he's drawing out from the word salt this idea that influence, that are we? If we're the salt, we're going to influence the world. Salt influenced the world everywhere in their world. It, it, was, it, it impacted their world. It influenced their world greatly. And, and so this person, or the presence the presence or the absence of this person should be felt, whether they're there or not. Is that, is that true with us today? I mean, is it true with me? In the circles I frequent, is my absence or my presence felt in a way that God's glory is there or it's not there? The word salt metaphorically has a lot of weight to it. And there's, we'll look at some of that weightiness of, that, of those metaphors. And it's not all metaphors, but salt had many uses also. But uh, one, of the, one of the first things I want to point at is the use of salt as loyalty. It, you don't have to turn there, but in... Second Chronicles, chapter 13 and verse 5, there's a, a salt, we're introduced to a salt covenant. And I'll just, I'll just read this verse to you. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? The point here is that David is trusting in the loyalty of God. God made the, 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 the covenant. The covenant is a promise. God made it, and we are, we have to have faith. We are left trusting in the loyalty of God and his word to carry out what he said he's going to do to keep us from corruption. Spiritually speaking, how often do we willingly impact the world? How often do we influence the world willingly with the, with the loyalty that Jesus has towards the Father and towards us? How often are we aware? How, how often do we have that in our mind that the purpose of God sharing his glory in us and just the fact that we are called out to be the salt? Also, in the Jewish culture, salt was used as a symbolic bond between husband and wife, between reconciliation even. Even in adoption, it was called, it was used as a symbolic bond. 
husband and wife, people carried pouches of salt because of its value and because of its many uses, but in the wedding ceremony, the man and the woman would come forth with empty, empty pouches of salt and there'd be a pot or whatever it would be. There'd be a container of salt. And they would fill the woman's pouch, the, the wife's pouch, the bride's pouch, and then they would take the same salt and they would fill the, the groom's pouch. And then the bride and the groom would go like this, grab some salt like that and drop it into the other pouch. And that signified this unbreakable, unseparable bond. It's, I mean, think about it. You couldn't. As simple as that is, you couldn't do it today. With all the technology we have, you could not separate that bond. You could not determine which grains of salt were which. You can't separate it. You are the salt of the earth is this, it, it does signify the bond that we have with Christ, with Jesus. And I just want to say again, as we're thinking through the Sermon on the Mount here, and we're thinking what was in Jesus' mind, Jesus is not, he is not teaching us how to be saved. This is when we are saved. This is, this is so we can know that we are saved, so we can know what it looks like to be saved. So he is, he's drawing this, he's drawing a picture of what it looks like to have an unbreakable relationship that's wrapped up in the glory of God. How, how well have you been doing with that? How well have I? It's, it's a question we need to ask ourselves. The loyalty that Jesus displayed was rooted in love. In Philippians chapter 2, we read, He poured out his soul to death. Let me say that again. Jesus, he poured out his soul to death and, and was with the trans and was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for us, the sinner. That's us. The, the transgressor. The only sin that was on that cross was ours. Jesus was up there. He was being loyal to the love of the Father. The, to, he was simply being loyal to love. And that's a, that's a question. That's a, that's, again, that's a question that we should answer for ourselves. I wouldn't dare, really, if I, unless I knew you real well, to try to answer that for you. But I do enjoy the one another. I do enjoy the accountability with, you, with some of you men in here that know me well enough that can make me uh, think a little harder on that. But it's also a question that that's answered with another question. And that is, does, if, if we want to answer that question, we ask ourselves, does the will and the glory of God prosper in our hands? Does it prosper in our hand? Are we manifesting the glory of God? Because if we are, he's there to help us. We have one another to help us. But it will be prospering in our hands if we are being loyal to the Lord. 
So then another idea wrapped up in salt, because we're looking at Jesus, he just pointed at us specifically, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. So we're looking at some of these ideas wrapped up in salt, some of the images, some of the usefulness, but salt is absolutely necessary for life then and now. Even, even God's word is likened to salt because his people can't live without it. The word of God is likened to salt. Salt was used to preserve meat and fish and other foods. It was used as medicine. It was used as a pain reliever, toothaches. It was very much desired at toothache. Whoever had a toothache knows that that's, you can't get away from it. And salt was used as a as that pain reliever for that. Salt was used as a purifier and a disinfectant. Salt, a disinfectant. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. That was one filthy place, morally depraved, spiritually dead, dark. When God used salt from the sky, he's used fire and salt from the sky. He didn't just disinfect that place. He sterilized it, and there's nothing there yet today. God was so incensed. His holiness was so incensed at the ugliness and at the, the atrocities there, the moral de depravity. He used salt. If they didn't have, we go back in that time, if you were living then, you would know what I mean, but they did not have toilets. They didn't have indoor toilets, plumbing. They had a hole in their yard. It was like an outhouse without a roof. And when they used that outhouse, they would carry salt with them, right? They would carry salt. And when they were done, they would spread salt on what they had left behind on the human waste. They would salt it. And they did that because that salt would disinfect it. And then it later could be used as it was usable fertilizer. And so the imagery there, the, the analogy there is kind of stark. You have human waste and salt. Right? And salt is impacting, it's working with, and it's disinfecting the waste. And then that's an analogous to this idea that salt, you are the salt of the earth, God's glory, God has shared his glory, you are the salt of the earth. And now we have, we go from the human waste to the world. I mean, that's, that's ugly, but look at the world. And what are we doing to impact that in that same way, to disinfect it, to even light, moving ahead, but even light is used as a disinfectant. But, you know, how are we doing that? It's like there's only two choices here. In verse 13, there's really two choices. We will influence the world with the glory of God, with the love of God, or the world would influence us, the church, and trample us under its feet. How is the church faring right now? And I'm not specifically speaking about Orangeville, but the church in general. How is it faring in the world? Have we remembered the, 
simplicity of salt and light and what we've been called to do and that we've been given the glory of God and we've been, had the, the Spirit of God sh- dwelling in us. And remember, this is a picture that Jesus is drawing. He's drawing it for us so that we would know if we are his. One more thing I don't want to miss is the rabbinical teaching, the rabbi's teaching back in Jesus' day, how they would use salt as a symbol of humility. And they would look at the salt covenants and remind the people that, hey, this covenant was made by God. You had nothing to do. God made this covenant with you, and you are totally dependent upon God to carry this out. Not that God won't carry it out, but we're still dependent upon God, and that's what humility is. You can't have true humility amongst each other until we first have humility with God, which is knowing our total dependence upon God. Salt symbolizes how it is God's glory that makes us usable. I mean, yeah, you could think of yourself as human waste maybe before. God saves you, but he, it, salt symbolizes how the glory makes us useful to God and, and in, until we understand that we are dependent upon God, we aren't going to be used. God won't use us to share his glory or his love. We have to realize we are totally dependent on, 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 on him. And there's so many other ideas with salt that we could go to, but... Uh, There's only so much time. So coming to verses 14, 15, and 16, and I'll read them. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Well, these verses, verses 14, 15, 16, they start out again with that emphatic you. Again, Jesus is pointing. He wants you to know that if you claim him, if you are his, and he's pointing right at you this morning. He's pointing right at us. You are the light of the world. Light. Light and life. Light and life are linked together just like darkness and death are linked together and the world needed salt because it was corrupt sin had corrupted it it needs salt it needs light because it's dark it's spiritually dead we're all we are all born dead unless we see the light of Christ the Lord lets us share in the joy of spreading that light, but until we find the light of Christ, the light of his victories and light of his gospels, we're dead. We are spiritually dead. And so the world needs light because it is dead. It's more morally corrupt and it's spiritually dead. Jesus came into the world to be a light in a dark world. The world is in spiritual darkness. And it can only, it has, it has 
It has, and it can only get worse. I know it's so, I talk to people, and they think about, well, how great, you look at these, the increase of technology, just look at the, the increase of lifestyle. I mean, we, maybe we take it for granted in America, but a lot of people are looking at America and, and thinking, wow, look at, uh, look at the possibilities here in this world. But listen to Paul in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy Second Timothy three thirteen, yes. Second Timothy three three thirteen, thinking about how the world, it is corrupt, it is dark, and it is only going to get worse. It can only get worse. It cannot get better. Not that we can't have an impact on it, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, and so. God has called us out to be a light in that world, in this world. A world where many, I mean, I looked it up. I'm not even going to write it. I didn't even put it down, but there's just many, many, many millions of babies that have been torn from the womb, literally torn. And the world is not ashamed they barely, they barely feel in a, a need to excuse it. There is just no shame in that. The world, you talk about darkness. Think of the endless horrors of war. Wars have grown continuously. It's not getting better. Century after century after century. To the 20th century now, we're... In the 20th century, war bloomed. 187 million people were slaughtered in war. Slaughtered. That's 10%. If you, they say that that's, I read this, I didn't do the figures on my own, but in 1913, that was 10% of the population. 10% was slaughtered in that century, just our last century, in war alone. Not to mention the famine and the disease that came along with war afterwards. You'd have a hard time this morning counting the horrors of war that have happened just in the last month. You'd have a really hard time counting those. And then look at the family. Look at the family in our country even in our church, in our churches. Our family is beat. The family has been beat by this world. Beaten. I don't mean beat, but beaten. Families that have fallen apart because of the darkness of selfishness and the corruption of sin. Moral decay. The stories and the statistics, I started to go on there and I thought, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I think we get it. But the stories and the statistics of the family should stagger the heart of this nation. I know it staggers many of our hearts in here today. Sometimes we don't want to think about it. But it should stagger the, the hearts in this nation. And it doesn't. It hardly does. There's a certain level of depravity out in our world that applauds 
what's going on in the family. In certain ways, especially the things that lead to this, the individualism, the me, it applauds this stuff. It applauds the church, the church being coming less and less of a salt and light to the world. It applauds that. John in his gospel, in chapter 1 of his gospel, John, in verse 4, in speaking of, in describing Jesus, he says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of the world. And then in chapter 5, or in verse 5, it says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. You know, no matter how ugly we've been in our past, that includes me, even ugliness today, but no matter how ugly we've been in our past, Jesus came into the world to say this in John, in in the same book, in chapter 12. He says, concerning our ugliness, I have, come in, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. We can be changed. We can be changed by the light of God. And when we are changed by the light of God, in turn, he, he expects us to, to shine that light in the world purposefully and learn how to do it better and better and engage with one another's. As Pastor Andrew just mentioned the, the, the picnic this yesterday and other things, but even in your personal lives, it doesn't, just because we do a picnic, it doesn't exempt you from your own little circle that you live in where you work, your family, your friends. How many of us have friends that aren't saved? How many of us have family members that aren't saved? Are we a light? Are we purposely doing that? God has saved us from our, our darkness, our ugliness to do this. And so in verse 14, you, we, we are the light of the world. God has called us to be that light, to reflect his glory. And just again, how well are we doing that? And to take a minute, just to go back to the gospel. We ended, this is where we ended with last, last week, this idea that if we have agreed with God, if we have agreed with God, that we are a sinner and that we need a savior. If you're trusting in Christ and his victories, if you were trusting on, in those victories, that the victory of, the victory that earned the forgiveness of sin on that cross and then the victory of death, Jesus rose if we're, we're agreeing with what Christ has done for us and we're enjoying and we're embracing and we're celebrating that, that victory, that victory over death, then God's, Jesus' righteousness is counted on to us and we are the salt and we are the light and we move, we move humbly in Christ, but we move, we act, we work, we're not working to be saved, we're working because we are saved. And if this is true, then 
we have been made free. We are free from sin and death. We're free in Christ from sin and death. We're free to be the person that we're supposed to be, that we were created to be. Again, Matthew's not teaching us how to be saved, but how, what it looks like to be saved. Just as, just as James said that work, faith creates work. Work does not create faith. Faith creates in us a desire, a desire to glorify God. And if we are free then, if we are free to be the person that we ought to be, then there's this call. Again, if we're free to be the person, we're free in Christ to be the person that we were created to be. Again, this is not how we get saved, but if we are saved, then we, we've, we've been, there's this call. We're free in Christ. So we're, we're obligated to be that person. If we're, if we're free to be the person that we're created to be, then there's also an obligation to be the person that we're created to be. It's, a, uh, it's an obligation that is, it's a planted desire within us, but we still have to act upon that desire, and that desire grows as we love God more. And God grows in us more and more and more. And we mature as a Christian, but that's a planted desire, but yet we have this obligation. We are free in Christ, and we have this obligation. Obligation to be that person. When we imitate God to the world, again, imitate. When we manifest his glory, when we imitate God to this world, we glorify God and it pleases him. I have a good friend who's always saying, just make God happy. You know, I don't know if that's the greatest theology, but if I know what he means, it's that simple. Make God happy. Think about it. What are you doing? And why are you doing it? Is it about you or is it about your love for God? Are you being loyal to the love of God? Remember that also... Light. Remember this also about light that, and forget the verse, but for only he who loves his brother abides in the light. It's not just about this love, but it's about this love. We do this love because of that love, and if we are abiding in the light, then this love will be apparent, and it'll be growing also. And remember that part of the image of salt. That part of salt, the image that comes with salt, is that it refers to that solemn, unbreakable, unmistakable relationship we have with the Lord of glory, the Lord who created us to participate in that glory. Are we the salt and are we the light of the world? Are we asking for help? Are we looking for ways to do that? There's a number of ways even here. You know about our discipleship program and you know about our effort to love the community. There's not, an, uh, there's not a, a, a limit to, to the opportunities we have. There's a limit to, to those who are willing. And we don't always have the opportunity or the time in our life, but for those that do, that do have that opportunity. And even when we don't or we don't think we have the opportunity, God will make a way if you so desire to please the Lord and to make him happy. 
Now, are we, are we the light of the world, and do we see it as a privilege that it is? And I'll end with this, this last stanza from that poem. I mean, I use that, that phrase all the time, that uh, only but one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. But I found out that it's actually part of a poem. I read one of those stanzas earlier, and I'll read the last stanza right now. I'll end with this, this thought. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. Do you, do I love Lord the Lord in that way? Do I think of that? Do I think of... <clears throat> That isn't always the funnest thing to think about, but you know, when I'm, at that, I'm on that deathbed, will I be able to say, yeah, my lamp burned out for thee? Is that our heartbeat? It's intended to be our heartbeat, is it? Being the light, being the salt, sharing the glory of God isn't always that easy. It can be difficult, especially when you're with people that uh, are struggling and, and want to make you struggle. It can be difficult, but it's not always that way. It's, there is a joy in it. There's a joy even in that, especially when we, when we think of our, our, the idea we're being loyal to the Lord and we, that we love the Lord and, and we know how ugly we were at times and how lost we were at times. So working with others that are are a a problem should be a joy to us, but at other times it can just be a joy. It's easy. And we have an opportunity like that coming up Friday night. Who, what's going on Friday night? Movie, night? Movie night. It's not hard. Nothing. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to set up. You don't have to tear down. You just have to come and share in the one another's just Show the world that you're part of a family and that you love being part of this family and you want to spend an evening in the backyard with them. And, I, and if it's too buggy, we are going to spray for mosquitoes. If it's too buggy, or if it's raining, we'll move indoors. And then we can share time with our family in the living room here. And it should be seen that way to the world that we're here to just enjoy one another. We should, we, maybe we can make contact, eye contact, maybe conversation with them and just let them know that, that there is a love that exists here between us and that it's worth coming out on a Friday night. And I know, we all don't, I know you don't all have that opportunity. Life doesn't allow you to all do that. But for those of the, that do, do have that opportunity, I pray that you'll show up and enjoy the evening. Uh, the, the show ends or begins at 9.45 approximately. And again, I appreciate this opportunity to talk about humbling yourself in the sense of having to depend upon God. Uh, you feel very, uh, very vulnerable up here, and I've enjoyed the, being in a, a church that has made this an intent of theirs to work with men to bring them in 
to disciple them further and bring them in to a, a, into ministry, women, not men only, but into to missionary work, into other kinds of ministries. So I just appreciate being part of this church.